everybody, and thanks for joining us for an episode of Compliant with Alliant. We are dusting off the podcast rest today to talk to you about the end of the national health and public, or sorry, the national and public health emergencies, uh, which has some significant implications for group health plans. So um, it's been a while. Thanks for coming back. And in a second, I'm going to turn it over to Diana to kind of run through some really important history here. But if you're listening to this, you probably are aware of the end of the national emergency and the public health emergency and its implications on the plan. And it's been pretty confusing over the last few years. And the way that I sort of think about it that helps me um, sort of group it is the issues that impact coverage. So coverage issues related to those two emergency declarations and then certain extensions for participants to exercise their rights. And so that's how we're gonna kind of tackle it today with Diana taking coverage issues. I'll walk you through some of those extension issues. And now that we're ending the emergency, what does that mean for you guys and your plan? So Diana, do you wanna run through a history? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really long road of dealing with these different emergency declarations. And you really have to put them into two completely different buckets. And I kind of just pull back and go, the national emergency is declared by the president. It was first declared on March 13th, 2020, which was actually Friday the 13th. It is renewed in one year increments. So shortly after that emergency declaration, it was actually April 28th, 2020, our favorite tri-agency issued guidance extending um, certain deadlines. They called them outbreak period extensions. Chris is gonna really go drill down on these, but it's basically deadlines got extended under HIPAA, ERISA, and COBRA. So that is your national emergency, who declares it, how it's extended, and what it does. Next up, we go to the public health emergency. By the way, we're very serious on this podcast. <laughs> I, this is very serious stuff. It's very serious stuff. I'm sorry. And we're also, I think, going back to a little bit of, do you remember when this first happened and how terrible everything was? It was, it's been a traumatic three years. Okay, carry on. Sorry. Okay. As I was saying, the public health emergency is declared by HHS. It was first declared January 31st of 2020. They have to extend it every 90 days and they have continued to do so what that public health emergency does when we look at how it ties into the group health plan it required coverage of covid testing without cost sharing and free covid19 vaccines so uh, there's a lot to digest in there but when we look at the end of that national emergency on may 11th there's a lot of stuff that sort of has to happen oh yeah did we even go over i mean i i mentioned it but biden has did you say that already? oh no i think that you need to say that oh okay well so that essentially the biden administration has announced its intent to end both of those emergencies effective may 11th 2023 and so we have some dates to play with there, but but yeah, so you're going to keep going on. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk about the public health emergency, and right. my dates and my deadlines are actually pretty simple. Mm-hmm. May 11th. So uh, what does that basically mean? It means as of May 11th, your group health plan is no longer required to pay for free COVID testing. And this actually started out as a, a pretty well-meaning um 
directive for group health plans where we want you to pay for, for COVID testing. And then as that directive evolved through a series of FAQs, it really got broad and it got really expensive. Uh, one of the memorable ones to me was this uh, series of FAQ guidance that came out in February of 21 that basically reversed the agency's prior guidance saying, look, you only have to pay for diagnostic testing. That guidance basically said any testing is going to be deemed medically appropriate. So it just kind of took all right. the rails away Do from what testing is covered. How many tests were in a box? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were talking about, does it cover eight, eight tests? What if they come in two in a box? <laughs> um, Chris is, is jumping the line Sorry. on me here Sorry. because that was the next piece of fairly traumatic guidance. And that was February <laughs> of 2022, where they basically uh, came out and were saying, you know, actually it was January of 2022, where plans had to then cover these over-the-counter tests. And it became, you know, how many tests per person? And then there were these safe harbor rules about could you cap the costs of over-the-counter tests? Because remember, there was a point where those were like a hot black market item on eBay. Bay, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, looking back on all that stuff, it, it really was a lot. Um, so when we look at what does this mean on May 11th, when your plan no longer has to pay for COVID tests. Uh, so first up, when we look at like, what are your action items? We always hit that fork in the road of is your plan insured? Is your plan self-funded? So when we look at our insured plans, sure, we're no longer required to cover this testing as a result of the public health emergency. Uh, but is there another state insurance code mandate running in the background? So if you have an insured plan, first step is going to be uh, contact your insurance carrier. Is there a state insurance code mandate? Uh, does that have an expiration date? If you don't have one or if it has a set expiration date, what's the carrier's plan on winding down that coverage? So understand if there's a separate mandate other than the public health emergency mandate. Um, so next, when we talk about our self-funded plans, we actually get to make a choice here. So we're no longer required to pay for these COVID tests without cost sharing as of May 11th. But do you want to continue to provide some uh, coverage for these COVID tests without charge, right? And I think a lot of plans are very interested in, yes, continuing to pay for some level of COVID testing. We don't want it to be the no rails um, DOLs. FAQ mandate where it's non-diagnostic testing, it's any testing, it's all the testing. We think a, you know, a reasonable number of at-home tests sounds good. That's not going to increase costs significantly for you. Um, lab tests, are those even still really being done? We hear testing labs are just sort of um, shutting down or phasing out. It just has become something we do more at home, but there should be some testing probably in a, in a medical setting before you do a procedure. I'm sure they test you. So how does your plan want to design some measure of, of free COVID testing if you want to at all? Um, so the next one is actually an interesting one on COVID vaccines. So we all kind of have this institutional memory of the COVID vaccine was required Gosh, I can't remember if it was FFCRA or CARES Act, but then it got picked up as part of an ACA preventive care coverage mandate. So those two things are actually running in tandem, but what the statutory mandate was, was for in-network or out-of-network testing, whereas the ACA preventive care coverage mandate is only for in-network testing. And Chris and I were actually having an interesting conversation <laughs> just now about, 
what does that actually mean, right? It, do we have out-of-network vaccines? vaccines? We decided, Where do we get them? We decided we weren't going to actually peel that one apart too far, were we? <laughs> well, it might be a question you want to ask your TPA. Is, mm-hmm. Does this even exist? Does it have any practical impact? Do you want to continue to cover out-of-network vaccines? I, I don't even know what that means or Would, looks like. Yeah, is there such a thing? I don't know. But we do want you to ask the question. <laughs> okay, so one last one that's tied to, uh, tied to the public health emergency, and that's um, an option where employers could choose to offer telehealth benefits to employees and dependents that were not eligible for the group health plan. That's a big one. That was a big one because what we know is you you know have a standalone medical benefit. It's not going to comply with ACA market reforms. You're looking at HIPAA, ERISA, COBRA, all these other things. And this guidance that allowed um, telehealth for ineligibles said, sure, we're gonna we're not gonna make that offering subject to the ACA market reform mandates meaning no out-of-pocket or out-of-pocket limits, no lifetime and annual limits, uh, just preventive care coverage, all of those things that really can't be shoehorned into telehealth. They said, we'll exempt you from the market reforms, but you're not exempt from anything else. Still a group health plan benefit. It's still a group health plan benefit. And so HIPAA, right? Yeah, yeah, so not many of our groups actually did this, but if you did, you know that you have to discontinue that benefit by the end of the plan year that begins before May 11th, 2023. So we did some hard math earlier. <laughs> it was lots of dates and number crunching. So, you know, if you have this in place for your 1-1-23 plan year, you're fine. Up through your 2 one 3 one 5 one plan year, you're fine. But otherwise, you need to be prepared to sort of bring that to a close. And messaging appropriately, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the thing that um, I don't want to forget to say here, which, you know, any plan design change that comes from um, we are no longer going to be covering testing or we're going to be covering testing only in this limited circumstance or, you know, we're no longer covering out-of-network vaccines if, if that is a thing um, or telehealth if you did do that telehealth extension. So you, um, you need to communicate that very, very clearly to participants. It also requires, you know, plan amendment. So talk to your TPA. This is what we want to do. Um, Let's get the plan amended. Can you administer this? And then we've got to communicate it very, very clearly to participants. We're looking probably at a summary of material modifications. And Chris is going to talk about, we have a model, one of those um, that people can use. But on this front, it's going to require a lot of customization. Exactly. So, Chris, that was a lot on the public health emergency. I know. Okay. I'll pick up on the national emergency. Fun. Thanks. So, this, so Diana covered the coverage issues, and I'm going to talk to the, what I call the extension issues. And Diana noted... Shortly after the national emergency declaration, the agencies came in and announced extension of certain timeframes under ERISA and the code uh, for folks to um, exercise some of their rights under the terms of the plan. And so I want to focus and I'm going to go through the list because I think it's important. And this was really confusing at the time. It remains confusing. 
Um, and for, for us or for me in particular, as we were taking questions from clients, it's really the issue that came up a fair amount and the nomenclature was problematic. And so we're going to run through that and kind of sum up sort of what are the key takeaways. So there were extensions or basically told deadlines, T-O-L-L-E-D deadlines, um, for participants to request special enrollment under HIPAA. All of the uh, timeframes under COBRA, so election uh, periods, the deadline to make those COBRA premium payments, and even the deadline for participants to notify the plan of a qualifying event or even a determination of disability. In addition, any claims and appeals issues, uh, those deadlines were told as well, including the request for external review of an adverse benefit determination. And so with any luck, your TPA and your COBRA TPA have folded all of those into those processes. And that's what's been happening ever since. And here we are now three years later. And so the rule was that impacted group health plans and note that uh, non-federal governmental plans uh, they had the option to make these extensions. So we're really focused with, from a, a mandate perspective on private sector ERISA covered plans. So those plans were required to disregard the period from March 1, right? So the start of that, or March 13th, the start of that COVID-19 national emergency until 60 days after the announced end of the national emergency. The departments referred to this period of time as the outbreak period. And so it told the deadlines by which participants were required to provide this notice until the earlier of a year after the date it was first triggered, so their standard a year after their, their, their standard deadline, or 60 days after the announced end of the national emergency, right? And so again, we didn't know when that could possibly be at the time it was issued. Here we are in 2023. So now we're working with what we know to be the end of the national emergency, which is May 11th. 60 days from that date is July 10 of 2023. So now we have to look at how we administer the end of the national emergency. And so we have a host of materials on the outbreak period and its application. If that's something you wanna look at, I would not recommend taking that dive at this point, but let's run through some examples of the implications here. So Can I interrupt for one yeah. second? I mean, there was actually a period where we thought that the outbreak period had yeah. a fixed expiration, right. and then we, we felt like, um, did I say whipsawed already? Because that's how we felt when the agencies came down and said, oh, no, no, these are individual by individual mm -hmm. deadlines. Yep. So we were all of a sudden tracking this on a person by person yep. basis for every COBRA election, yep. every COBRA payment, every HIPAA special enrollment, right, was this sort of unique right. um, timeline. And then one of the things they did that was sort of um, tricky and frustrating was the guidance made it pretty clear that while you were waiting this eternity for someone to actually decide and elect oh, yeah, COBRA, you, pay claims. Uh, you right. were supposed to have their coverage remain completely in force for mm -hmm. that period. Right. And it became um, financially problematic for mm -hmm. plans because yeah. you were supposed to be paying, paying claims, claims like mm -hmm. they were actively covered. That's right. 
And then um, what do you do if they don't pay or, or don't elect a year and change later? And very naively at the time, we thought, well, you can just you can pay the claims, but just put them in as pending. Mm-hmm. And then we found out the the TPAs couldn't effectively do right. that. There was no good answer for that. There was just no mm-hmm. good answer. And so administratively, some plans could do it, some mm-hmm. plans couldn't, but there was financial loss, definitely. And that was my thumbnail, or that was my thumbnail hopefully your TPA managed to shoehorn all these changes in. And Diana makes a good point. At the time, it was very disconcerting to know that every time somebody had one of these events, you had their individual sort of COBRA timeline that was unique to them. And again, I think a lot of this was, you know, the beginning was the assumption that this would be fairly short-lived and we could close all this out within a reasonable period of time. And as the the emergencies went on and on and on, administration became more problematic. And so anyway, now we're at this point where we're going to have to administer individual by individual issues, again, as we're we're dealing with the end of the national emergency. So what you're looking at is, you know, that rule that the outbreak period, and that was also a confusing thing. The out, is the outbreak period the same as the national emergency, the same as the PHE? And so the outbreak period is that period where during which the deadline is told, right? So it's the earlier of a year from the date that that deadline was first triggered or 60 days after the announced end of the national emergency. So the best way really to do this is in a couple examples. So if you had somebody, a COBRA QB, who would have been required to make their COBRA election, so 60 days after they lose coverage, by March 1 of last year, 2022, that outbreak period would delay that election. They would just sit in there for a while until March 1 of this year, 2023. They had all that time or the end of the outbreak period plus an additional 60-day extension, right? And so now we know that's July 10th, 2023. The rule is the earlier of those two dates. In this situation, we're looking at the deadline would be March 1st of 2023 because that's the earlier of those two dates. And so there's really, a, a you know, a, there'll be a batch of folks that before a certain date are going to run, you know, they're going to be in their year window, or there's going to be folks that you're administering within those 60 days post the end of the national emergency. So another example is if a QB would have been required to make that election by August 1 of last year, their year toll would put them to August 1 of this year, but that's after the 60 days, right? After May 11th, the 60 days is July 10th. So the earlier of those two deadlines is July 10th. So we would default that way. Again, this is really not an issue you should have to be dealing with. Your COBRA administrator should be readily familiar with that and should be able um, to administer those deadlines appropriately. Um, And so that's one of your action items is just make sure your partners are ready to administer these deadlines. You also will need to provide notice to plan participants if you haven't already uh, about the end of the outbreak period and all that associated deadline relief. Recall we had an SMM to communicate that. We have a model SMM prepared to address the end of the outbreak period extensions. Please ask your Alliant um, representative for that and make sure that you are effectively communicating that. Um, And then let's see, what else do we, what else do we have? Um, Do you want me to talk about some of the random relief that's not tied to either? Yeah, because there's there's other relief that was 
you know, implemented by statute that is not public health and national emergency driven. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, it gets really confusing because you start to put in all of this sort of COVID relief into one of these two buckets, and then there's just some odds and ends that don't fall into any of these two buckets. Um, so some of it was other statutory relief. Some of it even was through sub-regulatory guidance, um, and it gets a little wonky, but the, the two that come up most frequently relate to health savings accounts or HSAs. So the first one uh, was the CARES Act option to cover telehealth below the deductible of an HDHP and have that HDHP remain HSA compatible. So that was originally effective January 1st of 2020. It was set to expire and then really got this 11th or Mm -hmm. 11 and a half hour Mm -hmm. (laughs) extension. I think there was actually a a tiny little lapse in there before this relief got extended uh, by the CAA of our Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. And so it goes through plan years beginning before 1125. So that was a big one. People liked being able to offer telehealth below the deductible. But again, this is limited runway, so temporary. There's a lot of of chatter about doing that permanently. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, I I didn't think they would extend it because they had the opportunity to do so and did like a really short duration extension. And so to me, that was them saying they didn't want to extend it. But there we go. CAA 2023 gave us an extension. So the other one is actually pretty wonky. And so it's whether COVID testing can be provided uh, below the deductible of an HDHP and have that HDHP remain HSA compatible. And this actually dates back to some of our earliest sub-regulatory guidance, and that is IRS Notice um, 2020-15 basically said, I mean, it's a short notice, it's like a page and a half, said all of your COVID testing and your treatment can be required, uh, paid for or provided below the deductible of your HDHP without compromising HSA is compatibility. It is still in effect. It has a crazy open-ended um, okay. thing. It basically was effective March 11th, 2020. So we're really on the leading mm-hmm. edge of when COVID was hitting and is remains in force. And I'm quoting here, until further guidance is issued. It is not tied to either of these emergency declarations. So those are the two I see a lot. Oh, but we have a great chart. Did I mention the chart? I feel like- No, we didn't mention the chart. So So we have SMMs, we have charts. uh, We've got all sorts of things. I love the chart because it goes through each element of COVID relief, Mm -hmm. where it came from, the duration, whether it was optional, whether it was mandatory, whether we had a recommendation in that space, but you can really um, tightly focus in on what's ending, what's ongoing, and track back to, you know, what decisions you can make in that space. Yep. So I think key takeaways are what coverages continue, what coverages are no longer required, and that you can generally, after, you know, the next couple months, defer to your standard deadlines on COBRA, RISA, HIPAA. Thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, I think people don't realize that, like, the um, outbreak period extensions that apply to ERISA claims and appeals deadlines, mm-hmm. those even got wonky with health FSAs mm-hmm. and their runouts. Yep. I mean, for, for me, that one was just um, a little bit silly because most people are not incurring their health FSA expenses and then sitting on those receipts for a year and 90 days or, you know, whatever for that runout. Right. Um, but it can get tricky because technically that runout is supposed to remain open. But so it, it was really kind of There's broad. a lot of practical implications on that outbreak period that um, 
seem mismatched for the current state of the quote of the emergency. So we're glad to see this resolve and return to uh, standard administration practices. Thanks for joining us on this um, less than fun topic. (laughs) And hopefully we'll be back with you with something a little bit more interesting uh, soon. Take care.